0: What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What London Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at London Community Foundation. Today, I'm joined by Janine Langley, Executive Director of Sari Therapeutic Writing. In this podcast, we'll discuss the importance of unrestricted funding and the impact it's had on this organization. Hi, Janine. Thanks for being on the show today. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks, Diane. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Thank you for asking. So for our listeners who aren't familiar, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what Sari does in the community and a little, little bit about yourself as well?
1: Sure. So my name is Janine Langley. I'm the executive director at Sari Therapeutic Writing. And, um, my story with Sari actually starts, I was born and raised in London myself. And uh, I stumbled across Sari in high school when I was looking for a place to do my 40 hours of volunteer service. And uh, fast forward 21 years and <laughs> I was uh, hooked from day one. Uh, everything Sari just kind of gets into your, your bones and your DNA. and Uh, It doesn't leave. So, uh, Sari is actually an acronym uh, for our legal name, which is the Special Ability Riding Institute. And uh, we were founded in 1978 by Jean and Sid Greenberg in memory of their late daughter, whose name was Sari. And uh, we exist to provide people with special needs uh, in our community, the opportunity to move toward independence and freedom through their connection with horses. Uh, We offer year-round programming out here on the farm on Medway Road um, to about 200 regular participants a year. Um, And in addition, probably hundreds more of one-time visitors like veterans and um, retirement homes and and whatnot. Uh, We have a herd of 20 horses and they support our programming alongside about 250 volunteers every week. Uh, We certainly couldn't run our program without our volunteers. And uh, our participants have to have a physician's referral to attend, they have to be age four plus, they have to have a diagnosed um, disability. So sort of the most common ones would be autism, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, developmental delay. We have some acquired brain injury from things like motor vehicle accidents uh genetic disorders, the list kind of goes on and on. And uh we are certainly an organization growing fast. Um since our inception in uh 1978, we've had several uh small physical expansions. Um and we're looking to kind of the future and and what uh how to sort of pardon the pun but like jockey for position to <laughs> Be poised to grow again in the future. Um, we're looking, you know, at uh, we have a huge wait list. It's it's growing rapidly, and and COVID certainly played a factor in that. Um, but we're looking down the line at adding more stalls, um, adding a second arena, um, potentially some more office space. Um, you know, that list goes on too. So. Yeah. We're, we're a busy bunch out here on the farm.
0: <laughs> you sure are. And I know that cause I've been out to your facility and I've seen it in action. This was obviously pre pandemic and uh, it is, it's so impressive and I could see how you just fell in love with the organization and it just swept you, you know, right from the volunteer in you to your current role today. I could totally see that play out. Now you did an excellent job of describing the, uh, The breadth of the work that it is that Sari does and the clients you serve. Um, Now just so far our audience can get a better understanding um, the, the real reason why we're here talking is you're obviously a charity providing big impact in the community and Us on this podcast, we've been talking a lot about unrestricted giving as a way to inform funders and donors about the importance of this. So could you share from your perspective the importance of of unrestricted granting, you know, the impact that it's had on your organization specifically?
1: Yeah, so specific to COVID, um, when COVID forced uh, a lockdown upon the community, uh, most businesses and organizations were were able to, you know, lay off their teams, turn off the lights and lock the doors and, and, you know, wait out whatever the (laughs) provincial government's restrictions were at any given time. Um, specifically to Sari, we have 20 horses on site. So that simply wasn't a possibility for us. Um, The herd requires daily care. So feeding and watering, mucking, um, turning out to pasture, they required ongoing training because we wanted to make sure that when we did get the green light to reopen at any given time that our horses were ready and safe to jump back into action. Uh, So we did have to keep some staff on um, and obviously, you know, working around horses can be a risky business. So we can't just keep one staff for safety, we had to keep a a little crew on to kind of look out for each other's safety. So although we did lay off a significant portion of our staff, um, our operation continued and kind of so did our expenses. Um, the, The best kind of way to illustrate you know those getting into the unrestricted um, donations is, is really for years and years it's been easy for us to break down our income like approximately one third is fee for service one third is um, our fundraising and one third is donations and grants and of course in a lockdown the third of income from fee for service nil <laughs> Uh, the third of income from fundraisers really had to change and really had to pivot. Um, our fundraisers, some were canceled, some were made virtual. Um, it just became so unstable and unpredictable. So the remaining third of our typical income, if we had to rely on donations and grants to, to kind of get us through and, um, you know, the unrestricted gift that, that we got from the London community foundation was, just critical to, to our success and, and sort of treading water through uh, what could have been a bit of a drowning scenario for many charities.
0: Right. And is it typical uh, from your seat, okay, uh, being the ED of the organization, is it typical for funding organizations to grant unrestricted dollars? Like do they provide that form for organizations like yourselves to just apply for funding and, and keep it broad and loose and nimble, or was this a rarity in your case?
1: Yeah, this is certainly a rarity. Um, it has not been typical for us to receive unrestricted funding. I, would, I don't know the ag- exact statistics, but I'd say 9 out of 10 donors and <laughs> granting bodies, um, they want to fund a specific project or program they don't necessarily want to pay to keep the lights on. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly understand there's a, a level of pride associated with um, knowing the impacts of your individual dollars and um, where those projects and, and programs exist, I, I certainly, we certainly welcome them. Um, but tying up those dollars can often mean that we're actually creating more work for ourselves. Um You know, specific to Sari, we we may take a phone call that says, yes, I want to um, sponsor a pony, which is the three thousand dollar donation. And if I already have all of the ponies sponsored uh, in a perfect world, the donor would just turn around and say, oh, yeah, no problem. Use it however you like. Uh, But that's not always the case because they want it to be tied to, um, you know, something, something really meaningful. Um, And so, you know, those unrestricted funds, when they do come, like what we received um, through the LCF, it just kind of allowed us to focus on our mission, uh, keep momentum going. So, you know, specifically about those funds from LCF, uh, we bought two horses uh, for the program during a time that this is a whole other topic, but horse prices skyrocketed during COVID um, we kept some momentum going on, uh, we have an, an, ultimate goal of becoming an internationally accredited, uh, center and we were able to kind of keep some momentum going there. Uh, we funded the team who brought back uh, a much needed, um, day camp program. Well, during a time when, when parents were struggling for childcare options, uh, you know, and. COVID was not easy on daycares and, um, that system. And so, you know, it, it allowed us to, to work on our business and, um, improved our policies and improved our operations. Um, you know, we got to ease up a little on our fundraising and, you know, just rest easy knowing that we had this extra cash and, uh, we were going to be okay. And, and certainly, we've come out the other side of the pandemic in a very strong position. So um, yeah.
0: And okay, so this is good that now you're saying that you came out of the pandemic in a strong position. Can you shed some light on what that exactly means to Sari? And um, now what the like, what is the future look like? Because of that?
1: Yeah, uh, we were right before COVID, we were wrapping up a, a previous strategic plan. And um, during the, I hate saying during COVID, but it's like two years of <laughs> back and forth. But uh, during COVID, we were we were able to wrap up loose ends. Uh, we were able to dive into the next one uh, that was Uh, really meticulously planned out uh, through stakeholder interviews with families and donors and volunteers, staff, board members, um, participants. And uh, we just launched our strategic plan uh, in March this year. And I don't think that if we we hadn't had that funding, I don't think we would have had that much momentum coming out of, of the pandemic. And I don't think that we would have been, you know, poised to look ahead that soon. I think we would still be focused on recovery. Um, and we're not. We're focused on the future and and we have, you know, tons of drive to grow. Um, one of the big, I have to say the biggest impact of the pandemic uh, for us was our wait list grow. Um, so I think before COVID, our waitlist sat at about 54 participants. And today I just asked our program manager and we're up to 107. And the reason for that is really like that, that two years of on and off, pause, restart, pause, restart. We, we stopped the natural attrition rate of our participants because they just said, okay, let's go home and we'll wait till Sarah reopens. Nobody quit because everybody was just home waiting to come back. Um, and those spots were extra coveted in that moment, but what didn't stop was the applications rolling in and the physicians referrals that accompany them. So, um, yeah, our, our wait list essentially has doubled in two years. And so, that also informs the strategic plan. That also really changed the direction of what we need to do in the next, you know, three, five, 10 years in order to sort of fill this huge gap in the community um, that we exist to fill. And so now we're, we're more driven than ever with this strat plan. And, and I, don't, I don't think we would have been in the same position if it weren't for that unrestricted gift.
0: Okay, very interesting. And so now fast forward to today's environment where things are open and uh, we're still, you know, the pandemic is still hovering around, but at least we're fully open. Um, What are you seeing, um, like what changes are you seeing in the landscape of funders or, you know, through donations or foundations, you know, grants in general? Have you seen any changes or is that support still coming in?
1: No, I certainly do not think that support is the same. In terms of grants, I think that they are more competitive than ever. Um, every organization lost something in the pandemic, whether it was staff or funding or, or just capacity for programming or, or what. So while there are plenty of opportunities for help, I find the application process is more rigorous now in, in any grants um, that I've gone after. Uh, and I think that's just granting bodies are, are having to really prioritize the impact of uh, what they want to make in their community. Um, and so specific to SARI means, you know, on occasion, we become a little bit of a square peg round hole. So what we do is so unique and so niche that, you know, there may be plenty of grant opportunities for children disabilities, healthcare, animals, in these really big pillars, um, but there's no pillar for the services that do a little bit of all of it in, in one, like therapeutic um, equine activities. So grants are definitely getting um, harder, especially when they're looking to fund, you know, a certain program or, uh, you know, project donations for us are way down and uh those two years of covid we more than doubled our donations um that was just uh you know through the goodness of the heart of the community um and i think they realized you know everybody needs help let's give 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 and uh this year, we're not even on track to meet our pre-COVID level of donations. So, you know that in turn puts more pressure on our fundraising strategies this year, maybe next year too. Um, it's you know if if it continued this trend, uh, that you know ultimately leads to increases in fees for service, which is not at all what we want to do. <laughs> so. There's definitely a shift. Um, it's not in the right direction, but I'm hoping that it's that trend settles at some point.
0: So, for our listeners who are a little bit reluctant still about unrestricted granting, or even the foundations that are, you know, want to expect that agencies uh, go through hoops to fill out applications. Um, I want you to share the story that you had shared with us a while back. This happened during the pandemic, where it really demonstrated your transparency and integrity uh, when it comes to unrestricted giving. Can you share this story with our listeners?
1: Yeah, we had uh, some success in early COVID, really unanticipated success, actually. I think it was April 2020, so right after the lockdown when the community was you know, kind of scared, right? Um, we had actually a reporter going kind of farm to farm down Medway Road and stopping in because there was a huge impact to the equine industry as a whole, um, which could be a whole other conversation for another <laughs> podcast episode. But uh, she was stopping in at different farms and our neighbors are so wonderful. And, um, you know, this reporter would stop in and And ask questions and one farm would say no you got to go talk to Sari and then the next farm would say no don't talk to us go talk to Sari they they're the ones in need and so uh yeah CTV lovely CTV reporter showed up here one day and and we really did like a quite an impromptu you know tour and state of the nation in terms of you know did you close your programs who's still here um I introduced her to lots of horses and Um, really had just kind of a feel good time. And and out of that, we got about a two minute spot on the news that night. Um, I wasn't even really appealing for donations, to be honest, I was just trying to help this reporter, you know, showcase the the impact to the horse industry. And uh, yeah, within a a few days, we had raised almost $33,000. Um, just through phone call credit card donations and e-transfers and and whatnot and and that was such a remarkable moment for us like of course it was it was illustrative of the heart of the community like I have said but it was such a bright spot in what was coming up as a really dark time for our organization. Like it was totally, you know, unprecedented times, like they say, it's such a, a weird word to say now, but it really was, and it was really scary for us. It was, we had taken lots of phone calls from from neighboring farms and and friends saying, you know, if you have to move your horses out, uh, we'll, you know, take them and, and put them up for the time being or whatever. And that was really scary to think of. Um, how we how we may actually have to close the doors and we may actually have to you know disperse the herd for a while and and that's you know can be traumatic for them as well so um we had met early on uh I had met with the board early on and we had decided like we're going to do everything in our power to keep everyone together and, and keep us keep the facility going and and that was just uh you know, a bit of a miracle, that came through from just a, a random, you know, good intentioned reporter trying to trying to make a difference in her community. And I'll never forget that. I think that was the, the coolest, like, testament to the community's belief in, in our mission. And, you know, such a small glimpse in our doors Uh, led to this influx of funding. And and of course, it was unrestricted. So um, yeah, pretty, pretty special moment in in our our little COVID
0: history. (laughs) Right. Yep. Thank you for sharing that. And so um, what is your hope for the future of funding? Or do you have any comments around that or how you'd like to see it change or improve?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously what we're here talking about today is, is more unrestricted giving. Um, I think where donors are hesitant, uh, I I say connect with the leadership of the organization. Uh, Get your, get your boots through the doors of the organization. We love to have people here on the farm because, you know, it's one thing to describe. It's another thing to experience as I know you have Diane and and enjoyed your own experience um, and see firsthand what uh, we're doing and start to build your trust in the organization's leadership that way. And, you know, if that's not the way to go, we have this wonderful partnership with the LCF um, who for decades have helped us to grow and become who we are. And, you know, my dream is certainly for, for organizations like yours, maybe more of them to pop up, but who have that expertise and sort of sophistication to, manage you know bigger investment portfolios for for individuals in the community who aren't comfortable directing direct straight to the charity that's totally fine but we have this existing relationship with uh, the lcf where you know we've been vetted and and you can attest to um our transparency and, and trustworthiness so i think uh, specifically for us to like, we have a very loyal donor base. I don't know if I've said that or not yet. But um, many of our year to year donors actually had established a personal relationship with our founders, Jean and Sid. Um, and so as wonderful as that is now our donor base is aging. And so we're trying to think of ways um, to engage uh, a new generation or generations of donors into the different avenues of giving, whether it's straight to us, whether it's restricted or not, uh, whether it's through LCF or supporting an event or, or whatever, we're trying to sort of start building new relationships that will be in the long term really critical to our success. And, and at the same time, sort of foster the spirit and the community of like what we're actually doing. And yeah, I think, I think like I was saying, you know, our, our focus right now is on the horizon. We have some big goals for a physical expansion so that we can grow our services and offer more programs and address a hugely growing need in the community. And I think, um, I think if there were more opportunities for donors to connect, um, to those strategic plans and sort of start to understand the driving forces behind changes and um, the goals of an organization, I think just more communication around that would be amazing. We have a we have an obligation to the community to fill this uh, need, and we would love to find more donors who are like power charged to also fill that need. So. We need to find each other somehow and we need more avenues to do that.
0: And that's why I hope with this interview that more listeners become aware of Sari and encourage others to reach out and look into Sari because the reality is um, Sari and a lot of other organizations in our community just don't have that luxury of having, you know, fundraisers or a marketing plan. They don't even have the dollars to invest in a marketing plan. So a lot of it is word of mouth. And, uh, you know, hopefully this interview sheds some light on that and encourages other funders to have a better appreciation of your operating reality and the need that, it, that you are serving in the community and uh, be more inclined to support. So, thank you for, for that. So, lastly, my question to you is what do you think Lenin can be and how do you think we can get there together?
1: Love that question. Uh, Kind of building on what you just said about awareness, like we kind of giggle all the time here because when we're out in the community with, you know, a, a polo that says Siri or something, we always think it's funny that people either know us incredibly well or they've never heard of us at all. Uh, and I think that's a very strange thing. Like uh, there's lots of organizations I could name that, you know, ring a bell for everybody. And, and specifically to Sari, uh, that's not the case. So I would love, obviously, for Londoners to have a greater awareness of organizations like ours and and not just organizations that, you know, mean something to them close to their heart or, you know, are kind of in their bubble or things that affect them, but organizations that uh, stretch outside of that bubble. So, you know, for us, we're advocates for individuals with disabilities. So we're, we're out here removing barriers to a really simple activity of horseback riding that many of us take for granted um you know the things we take for granted the ability to be mobile the ability to have speech like I'm using right now to communicate simply with you um where I sit at my desk here I often see people pull over to the side of the road they get out and they take a picture of the horses and and it's funny like you just have no idea what happens inside of our doors um and you have no idea the privilege of being able to drive and get out and and you know walk to the fence and enjoy two minutes looking at a horse when so many people don't have that same access to not just horses of course but many services in the community so you know a greater awareness of what is out there and how our privileges sort of related to to those things and and that's why we exist and I think that's why DLCF is doing the good work of spreading the word on on other organizations that people may not know about, like Little Old S on Medway Road on a little farm.
0: <laughs> oh, very nice. Well, thank you, Janine. I really enjoyed this interview with you. Thank you for sharing your insights on um, unrestricted giving and... Um, how the pandemic impacted you guys and how you came out of it strong, all of that good stuff. And I hope that as an organization, you remain strong. So thank you for all your hard work and thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of What Lenin Can Be. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca forward slash can be. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for listening to us.